Man, it is good to be back here in Evansville. I want to personally thank you on behalf of my entire family uh, for letting us go and be with my grandfather in his final days. Uh, he knew the Lord. He's in heaven now. He did die of COVID. But uh, I know that uh, God is shining with him today and that we are blessed to have had him for 94 years. And thank you for giving me, my wife, my kids, the opportunity to go and spend uh his final days uh, with him uh, before we meet him again in glory. Now, the last several weeks have been awesome, and I was worried as I watched online that you guys wouldn't want to have me back anyway. So, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, so in, to make sure that never happens again, I'm only going to pick speakers worse than myself when I'm gone to ensure that I am always missed. And our camera guys, I am 100% positive uh, have not missed me at all because I'm the fastest speaker and I move too much and it drives them crazy. So they're ready to work out today. They've got it easy the last couple of days. We are in week three of our new year, new purpose series. Now this comes on the piggyback of our new year, new you series. The whole purpose of this time was a spiritual journey where we're all going to grow together, and we've been talking about new ways of defining your purpose, figuring out why you, as a Christian, belong here on this earth. Now, it is getting easier and easier to see who is not a Christian these days, is it not? Okay, I do interactive preaching. It's one of those things, if I ask a question, you can actually answer them. Okay, we take a poll at the end of service. If you don't talk, you're not allowed back. And so what happens is it's getting easier and easier to find out who is and who is not a Christian, right? I mean, that's just something that we can see clearer and clearer. It doesn't matter what television station you're on. When I was growing up in the 80s, there were just some things Christians didn't do. And now it seems like there's, you can find a Christian that accepts anything, wants anything, especially in the work world. Okay, when you're at work, everybody kind of calls himself a Christian. How many of you know people, and I'm not saying judge people, but you know somebody, okay, who you're like, they call themselves a Christian, but boy, when they're at work, they don't live anything like that. Yeah, me too. I work with some of those guys. I do. I do. You just saw one on the screen. Okay, just kidding. His name is Dave. You know, and we're going to spend this morning, I'm going to talk to you of what is your purpose? What is your purpose when it comes to work? And I don't want you to think of the term of, of work as like, how is God going to use me at work? But why do we even have to work? What does God want us to do? Why is it even important? Okay. And here's the first thing I want to say is this. God uses people to grow people. If you think about how people grow and develop, you'll see that God uses people to grow people. God will use different people to grow you, okay? You might not like it. You might not entertain the idea, all right? Let me explain it like this. Many of you will, if I were to ask you to name the last five sermons we did, okay, you'd probably be like, ah, I don't know, Pastor. I love you. I love coming to this church. I don't remember what you say five minutes after we leave, but you do a great job. Okay, but if I were to ask you, tell me five people who had impacted your life, man, you're going to fire them out, right? Because 
God uses people to grow people. God uses your relationships with other people to grow people. Relationships impact us in deep and profound ways, and God uses people to grow people. Now, back in the day, uh, when I was a young pastor, there was a guy who came to our church, and he used to call himself the billboard for Jesus. Okay, he's like, yo, pastor, I'm the billboard for Jesus. Okay, I don't know where he was from or why he talked like this or if I'm even doing it right. My wife says I'm the worst at accents, and uh, so all of them sound the same. So I, I don't know where he's from. This is it. Okay, and he would wear a Christian T-shirt everywhere he went. Okay, uh, my life was changed with three nails and a piece of wood. And it'd have like, Jesus is my homeboy, or I work out at the Lord's gym, or something like that. He always had on a Christian t-shirt everywhere he went, and he'd be like, I'm a billboard for Jesus! And he would yell when he would, sometimes he would drive with a Christian flag outside of his car, driving down the road. I'd be like, well, there he is. He's a billboard for Jesus. And one day, uh, our lead pastor gets up, and he, he puts me in charge of all the great things at the church, and he goes, hey, we got to dig a ditch from building 100 to the gym, which is about 250 yards. Okay, we need to build it three feet deep and two feet wide. we got to lay a cable that connects the two, and, uh, you know, we need some volunteers. Well, people don't volunteer when you ask for fun stuff. Okay, you ask somebody to go dig a ditch and ask for volunteers, guess who's going to sign up? to volunteer to dig a ditch. The billboard for Jesus, me and my friend that I forced to go. Okay, so we've got these shovels, and here's how that morning starts. He grabs that shovel. He's like, Lord, I thank you for the shovel and the power that you've given me in it. Boom. Puts the dirt off to the side. Lord, thank you for that dirt. God bless that dirt. Mm. Yes, I can feel you, Jesus. And we are like a foot into this. Okay, for the next five and a half hours, we thanked God. I joined him. I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for the dirt. Yes, and for my shovel. What else? Yes. And we just keep going. For five hours, we continue this repetitive behavior of thanking God for everything he's provided. And by the end, you know, that five hours I thought was going to go by faster, but it felt like five hours. But I learned something in that moment. I had to grab a little bit of what the walking billboard for Jesus had. He had a grand thankfulness for everything God had provided for him, and he knew how to use it. My shovel, I take my shovel, it goes in the ground. It moves the dirt. I move the dirt with my help. It does this. And all of a sudden, I started to realize, man, this guy has got it figured out. He thanks God for everything, and he has nothing. And he needed for nothing. He had a jalopy for a car. He barely wore any nice stuff. All his Christian t-shirts were like, hand me down after hand me down. And he was thanking God for everything he had. He understood something that a lot of us miss, his purpose. He was an encourager. Man, if you needed something to make you feel better about your day, have a guy with nothing run up behind you and be like, you are the best version of yourself you're ever going to be. God bless you. Come here. Let me put my hands on you. Take big, strong hands. Big Puerto Rican man put his hands on you. He'd be like, God didn't make another Daryl, did he? Mm-mm. You, you are the only Daryl he made. Yes, sir. I'm the only one he made. Who, who doesn't make mistakes? God doesn't make mistakes. That's right. Now go do what you were called to do. 
Boy, you get somebody who has lined up those things and understands what God has called him to do, he starts to rub up, rub off on you. And here's what we believe that every single one of us has a God-given purpose. He's put it put us on the planet for a reason. We've got to figure out what that reason is. Okay? A lot of us, the problem is, is when we go to work, it's just work. We don't know how to go to work on purpose. We know how to go to work. Okay? The American culture, the way culturally we handle things, okay, is we just go to work. Let me put it in perspective. In America, the average person spends more than 90,000 hours of work in their lifetime. 90,000 hours. Okay? If you're a mom, take that number and double it. 180,000 hours taking care of your home and your children. Each year, the average American spends over 100 hours commuting to work. 100 hours. U.S. workers only take an average of 57% of their vacation days. Interesting, meaning when you get time off, you don't take time off. 95% of businessmen check in on their work during Christmas, Thanksgiving, and all U.S. major holidays. 25% of people check in hourly when they're on vacation. We are trained to work. Here's the good news. 80% of us are dissatisfied with our jobs. <laughs> we're so happy. No, we're not happy at all with what we're doing. We're pouring so much of our lives into our jobs, yet so many of us aren't really enjoying with what we do. How many of you, be honest, we take an honesty test, hopefully your boss isn't here. You love what you do. You, you, you wouldn't do anything else in the world. Raise your hand. One person, two, hold on, I see some in the back, real happy people up in the back. All right, you need to hang around them, figure out what they're doing for a living. I know a couple of them. Okay. How many of you would say, I can find something else? Okay, 80%. <laughs> But we just go because of our culture. Our culture says it like this. There's, there's kind of two ditches we can fall into, okay? We spend most of our time at work. We spend all this time trying to do what we want to do. Do we do work for the sake of working or we do theological style of work? And, and here's where I want to talk through both ways. There, there's the American way or the cultural way, and then there's Jesus's way. There's two different ditches you can fall into. The first one is this. Work is nothing. Work means nothing. Okay, work means nothing. It's a thank God it's Friday culture. Okay, how many of you, when you wake up on Friday, you were more excited when you woke up from Friday than you were on Thursday? Because what does the end of Friday mean? Whew! I'm done. Okay. How many of you like quit secretly every Friday on your way out of work? You don't tell nobody. You're like, I am done with all you suckers. I hope this building blows up over the weekend. Okay. I didn't, I, you know what? Just going to keep it there. We are working so that one day we don't have to work. We are spending our whole life working so that at the end of our time, we don't have to work work. You are spending 70 years so that the last 20 you don't have to work. 
How crazy does that sound? We wake up every day going to do something we don't want to do so that we can end up doing the thing we want to do, which is sit down, apparently. We spend our whole life working. Everybody tells you, well, you have to work. You don't enjoy it. You don't find any pleasure in it. You don't find any meaning. You're just doing it so that one day you won't have to do it anymore. You're like, wow. Yes, that's what we do every day. It's interesting that Solomon had this same problem. Solomon, richest king in history. He's got everything he wanted. Okay? And at the end of his life, here's what we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, so I came to hate life because everything I had done under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I have four. I must leave it to others everything I've earned. And here's, here's the second part here. It says this. Some people work wisely with the knowledge and skill that they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. So he goes on, and it's like, this too is meaningless and a tragedy. So what do, what do I do? People get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety. He comes to the conclusion. He says, all of this stuff, everything you've ever worked for is meaningless. It's meaningless because at the end of the day, you're going to store up all this stuff and have to what? Give it away. Have you ever seen somebody who had so much at the end of their life kind of confused? You, you watch them. Some of you watch shows. You just don't realize that's what's happening. When you watch a show about a rich man dating a 20-year-old woman and he's 97, that's what you see happening. He's confused. He's not 20. He thinks his money can buy him 70 years. And he's confused why it's not working. Why everything I thought was supposed to add up doesn't add up. It hasn't found meaning. He hasn't found relationship. He hasn't found anybody who loves him anymore. As a matter of fact, he can no longer decipher between a gold digger and a grave digger. Right? He's got both. He's <laughs> got them both. Waiting to pounds. Okay? In verse 19, it says this, And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything that I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. You know how depressing that's got to feel at the end of your life to have gained everything? And then be like, it's all meaningless. How many of you, that's how you feel at the end of every week sometimes? Man, this is meaningless. I go to work every week and I still don't have enough money. And then we turn to the government and we're like, give us more money. And they send you a check, and you spend that money. You're like, I still don't feel good. Send me more money. They fight about it a little bit more. They send you another check. Guess what? At the end of that, you still don't feel any better. All of those things that start happening, you start to realize that work is not the fulfillment because you're not on God's plan. You're not working towards anything. You're not working with somebody. There's a big difference between cultural work Okay, and being theologically sound when you go to work. Theologically, that's a big word. That just I'm going to help you explain that in a second, all right? He goes so far that Solomon goes, you know the best thing to do? 
He says, go get drunk and eat and toil and have a good time. Okay? He discovers that every person in their own strength for their own purpose ultimately ends up in ruin. The wisest man on earth says, hey, the smartest thing you can do is go get drunk. That's how pointless his life came, okay? Because he went outside of biblical working, working with a purpose. You can't get up every day and go, man, I'm just going to go to work. If you don't go to work with a purpose, then you're just going to work. I don't know how many little kids are in here, so uh, I'm not going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> Let's just say it was a little bit more PG-13. So, next week. The thing is this. Biblically, okay, if we're going to get into biblical terms of working and understanding, okay, you've got to be involved. You want to be doing part of the plan. It's got to be more than just a paycheck to you, okay? Everything that God makes is part of a process. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, okay, the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And here's, here's what we're doing. Here's what God's saying. I created this whole thing. Now you're going to, read it with me, you're going to continue it. I created everything. Now you're going to continue it. He tells Adam, start naming birds. He doesn't even know what birds are. That's where we get weird names like chicken and turkey from. He's just making them up. What's that thing? I don't know, turkey. Looks like a turd, has wings. Turkey. Okay? I don't know how chicken, I just made up the turkey thing. Okay? His job is to help bring order to the world, to bring safety, to bring you know, to build structure, to help everybody move in one direction. Whether you believe it or not, that is what God has tasked every one of us to do. He wants us to join the process of creation and help bring order to this world. You're here to help bring order, bring safety, security to other people. You're like, how does that happen? Okay, and it says this, and so whether you believe it in God or not, this is why Christians should have respect and dignity for people who do work. Okay? The ditch digger. Okay? The person at McDonald's. Okay? The person at Chick-fil-A. Look, this is how I know Jesus is at Chick-fil-A on some level. I'm not saying Jesus owns Chick-fil-A, but they're there. They are the most organized fools you've ever met. Right? They bring order. Who do I know brings order and structure? Who can give me a, you know, fries and a chicken sandwich in seven minutes? They can. Okay, McDonald's been doing it 50 years longer than they have. Can't figure it out. I'm in your drive-thru. I'm angry. I know I paid a dollar, but that dollar means the world to me. Okay, they've got order. They've got things. It says this. It means that every job, Every job that brings order, helps people, or leads humans to flourish has dignity. It has meaning. When you go to your job, you should go with the understanding that you're helping to bring meaning to something. You want to work at a place that has vision. You don't want to go have somebody build your house, you know. Hey, we will build your house. Well, what's it going to look like? We're not sure. We'll let you know when we finish. You don't have a picture or nothing. Mm-mm. 
No, not even supplies yet. Go into Home Depot. Later day. We'll figure it out, though. Just give us your $250,000. we will build the house. No, you want to be a part of something that has meaning. Maybe God puts you where you're at because everybody's depressed around you, and you are the one supposed to put meaning in your job. You're supposed to be the one who stands up and goes, you know what? God created me. God created this day. I am here for a purpose. I'm going to lift up those around me. Maybe instead of being depressed every Monday like I am, I'm, I'm the Debbie Downer on Monday at my work. Dave's a happy guy. I don't like mornings. Maybe instead of being that person, you start pushing yourself to go, you know what? It's my job. God put me here to lift the water table of this place, the spiritual water table, bring order, bring happiness, bring attention, okay? Treat your job like it's Chick-fil-A. It's my pleasure. Even if you work for a jerk, ask my staff. They all work for a jerk. It's my pleasure, okay? Do that. Get behind it. God is working. God is showing us grace and compassion and his mercy, filling the earth and we want order, man. We want those things. In other words, work is meaningless, but his work, God's work, has value. It has meaning. Why? Because when God started it, but we get to continue it. You're like, how did God start my job in the beginning? How do I know that? Because everything started in the beginning. And it's all come out that you're like, you mean to tell me that God cares what I do? Absolutely. And he cares how you do it. You are a reflection of him at your workplace. Our jobs are the, the first meaningless ditch that we can fall into. And we can, we can figure out and go, well, you know, none of this makes sense. You know, the second thing we can do is we perhaps we make our jobs too important. They become who we are. Instead of just saying, this is meaningless, we're so wrapped up in our jobs, that's all we know. Men, we really struggle with this one. I really struggle with this one. At the end of every sermon, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. At the end of every sermon, I'm waiting for one or two key people just to come up and be like, man, you did a great job. If they don't, I'm like, ah, I missed it again. That was terrible. And a hundred people can come up to me and be like, you did a great sermon. I'm like, yeah, but you're not the person I wanted to hear from. I wanted to hear from that person. They didn't say it. We often believe that our value is found in what we do. Look, God either affirms me or doesn't. Okay, society often tells you this, you are what you do. You ever been to a place, told somebody where you are, what you did? They didn't realize you had a lot of money. What? <laughs> I met a guy one time, uh, a friend of mine, has a lawn mowing business. And in Florida, <laughs> you can make a lot of money mowing lawns. And uh, we were talking to this guy, and he's talking, you know, look at me. I've got all this great stuff. And, you know, he's like, I got 44 boats, and I got a fleet of women and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he's dri driving some raggedy car. And uh, my buddy's like, yeah, uh, yeah, what do you do? He's like, I own a lawn business. It's not that big deal. And uh, so he's like, oh, really? Does that make good money? He's like, yeah, yeah, I make good money. He's like, oh, how many lawns do you do? Oh, he's like, I, I don't do lawns anymore. He's like, oh, you don't uh, go out of business? He's like, no, I have about 780 employees. 
they mow the lawns. He's like, you have how many? He's like, that's got to be millions of dollars. He's like, oh, yeah, millions of dollars every year. Absolutely. And the guy's face just flung because you find your significance in what you do and you don't realize it had nothing to do with the job. It had everything to do with the man inside that. You can have all the money in the world and be a hollow human being because you're sitting there telling yourself, hey, in fact, every time we see this huge economic crisis or we see the downturn of these, we start to see the metal people are made of. If you live for your job, when your job starts to go down, you'll throw yourself right off a building. We see it happen. We see people who had all the wealth in the world, the second they take away their wealth, they were nothing. And let me tell you something. If you're not you without money, you're not you with money. Jesus is where your value comes from, period. Not plus, period. Your value comes from him. It's difficult to untie your self-esteem to what we do. Men especially, we struggle with this. It's difficult for us to untie our self-esteem from our paycheck. You're supposed to be the provider of the family, right? And you've got to go out. You've got to work harder. You've got to do all that stuff. And the problem is that sometimes you will work so hard, you will do all those things for money, and your family just wanted to see you. I've seen family after family, parent after parent, telling me that they are providing the best life they can for their children, and they are, and God bless them. They're working 100 hours more than they should. And I talk to their kids. Their kids are out of control, and their kids are just going, I just want to see my mom. I just want to see my dad home. Why? Because their value doesn't come from the dollars or the gadgets that you give them. It comes from time with you. That's where their value comes from. They want to have time with you. Ask your kid. I promise you. They're going to say Xbox at first, but they'll be bored of the Xbox in like a week. doesn't matter if they make the next one $50 million. Some of us will buy it. They'll be tired of it in a week, and we'll lose our minds. That's what you wanted. It is. I love it. I love it. And they'll play it crying. The reality is they just wanted time with you. We sometimes work as if we're trying to prove something to ourselves, trying to prove something to our parents, trying to prove something to our bosses, trying to improve something in our community, and ultimately we're trying to prove something to God. Am I good enough? Look at me perform. Look what I can produce. I have value. Comparison is an identity issue. It's also a heart issue, and it ultimately leads to the third thing on this list, which is burnout. We sacrifice all of our families on the altar of burnout sometimes in the name of trying to help them. How many of you have parents that work so much you never saw them? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Thank you. You're going to heaven. Theater two, I can't see you. I'll find out. It's exhausting. My mom, I love her, man. I got to spend time with her the last couple of weeks. It's been awesome. My mom worked her tail off. But from the time I was 14 to the time I was 18, I might have saw my mom three or four hours a week. It was tough. 
She was providing. She was doing what you're supposed to do. Do the American dream. But I promise you, I would have done with less to spend more time with her. I've never done a funeral where anybody said, thank God for the money. I've done countless funerals where everybody said, man, if I just had one more day, I'd give it all back. If you give me, give me all the rich, I just want to spend more time with them. I remember uh, when I was 18 years old, my dad died. He had a brain aneurysm at work. Paul, you can come join me. I'm going to close here in just a second. He had a brain aneurysm at work, and we get a phone call, and I'm at my girlfriend's house, and then we drive over to the hospital. By the time I get there, he's hooked up to all these machines, and they're saying he doesn't have any brain activity. I'm a young Christian. I'm praying. I'm believing, asking God to do some incredible things. And three days passes, and me and my brother, since my father wasn't remarried, were asked to unplug him. So we made that decision. And as we made that decision, a few weeks later go by, I'm, you know, Saturday we bury him, Sunday's Father's Day, Monday I leave on my first missions trip. I get back from the missions trip and I have this check waiting for me that's been divided three ways between me and my two brothers. And it was a check, my dad's life insurance check, and it was for $16,000. My father worked his whole life, whole life, and was left behind after my 18 years was $16,000. And I promise you, had asked me in that second, I would have given that $16,000 back for five more minutes. I would have given that $16,000 back for two more minutes. For one more coherent thought, I would have given every piece of it back. Why? Because at the end of your days, your value does not come from what you do. Your value comes from Jesus your significance comes from Jesus and your purpose for going to work. Work has a meaning, but it's ultimate meaning. It's not where you find your complete significance. You work so that you worship God. Your work is just part of who you are. It should just show you, come out of what you naturally do. Man, when you go to work, I challenge you this week, when you go to work, smile for once. Try it. I know it hurts. Try it. Try encouraging people. Try being the walking billboard for Jesus. You'll creep people out, even good Christians like me. But I never forget them. I'll never forget the people who believe in me. And so what if you started from this point on reprioritizing your life, seeing the biblical vision of work, which is finishing what God started. God started you. He started your family in that order. And God wants you to take care of your relationship with him and your family, then provide. Look, guys, go poor being the best husband best spouse, best father you can be than die rich having done none of those. Work out of a sense of worship and joy and that thank God for your shovel, for your backhoe, for whatever it is you do, for the wiring in the walls. Thank God for it. And be open-handed with it. 
Be like God, just like we heard earlier in Todd's story, driving around town. Be open-handed. Give back what God has given to you. You can't take it with you. It's not worth it. Your meaning is not found in what you do. It's found in who you do it for. Work is not for your glory, but it's for God's glory. That's the Christian view. Work tirelessly for God's glory. In everything you say and do, in everything you say and do, in everything you say and do, do it unto the glory of God. In everything. When you wake up in the morning, do it in the glory of God. When you go to work, do it for the glory of God. When you go to bless somebody, not for your sake, but for his sake. When you work as a father, when you work as a mother, do it to finish what God started. You aren't just a mom. You're a mom on a lineage that Jesus has put forth. He trusted you with the children you have to raise them up. Your job is not one that's going to get applauded easily or acknowledged often, but you have spent 180,000 hours over the course of your lifetime to raise it. I'm telling you to do it well. Men, rise up, lead your family, stop playing the second seat, take responsibility for the spiritual life of your home. I don't know how to pray. You're never going to pray with that attitude. Nobody taught you how to walk, but you figured it out. Nobody taught you how to ride a bike. You got there. You can learn how to pray. These are simple concepts. Why? Do it all for the glory of God. It's not how much your salary is at the end of this world that matters. It's not how much your bank account is at the end of this world. None of that's going to matter. It's the impact you left on the world behind you. And I want to be a church man that impacts this area in a huge way. And we've got to be people who see through all the garbage, see through all the sludge. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, whether you're here in Theater 1, Theater 2, or online. Stand with me all across this place. This is how we're going to close today. We're going to sing a song. It's called Jesus Paid It All. It's an old song. At the end of that, I'm going to challenge you. Some of you have never given your heart to Jesus. You need to do that. That's the best decision you're ever going to make. Some of you, you're like, you know what? I work a deadbeat job, so I'm going to challenge you. Either straighten your attitude or change your job. But if you change your job and you don't straighten your attitude, the job wasn't the problem. And the third thing is I'm going to ask you to commit your work to the Lord. Commit every day, everything you do, everything you say to, the, to Jesus to continue the work that God started. Will you sing this with us as we sing this out? We sing Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Sing, I hear the Savior say, and I hear the Savior say, My strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Because Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe Sin 
have left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Lord now indeed I find Lord now indeed I find thy power in thine alone can change the leper spots and melt this heart of stone cause Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow that's right and when before the throne in when before the throne I stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save and my lips shall still repeat if you know you sing you sing cause Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe that's right sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Here's what I want to ask today. With every head bowed, nobody looking around. If you would say, I need Jesus in my life. I've never asked him to forgive me. I don't know where I would go today. If I were to die, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. We want to take care of that right now. If that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus in my heart to change my life. Will you raise your hand so I can pray for you real quick all across this building? Raise your hand. You need to accept Jesus in your heart for the first time. Thank you. Second thing I'm going to ask here is this. If you have not been dedicating your time at work to the Lord, your hands, your feet, and all that you do, I just simply want you to put your hands out like this on either side of your body, and I want to pray over you and go, Lord, I need to do that today. If that's you, this isn't, you're not repenting, you're just going, you know what, I need to make a commitment today to give everything that I have to Jesus, everything I do at my job. Just put your hands straight out to your side like this. Jesus, I pray for every person in this building. Lord, we commit our hands, our feet, our mouths, our tools, our resources to you. Lord, help us to finish the great work that you started. Lord, while we're on this earth and while you put us here, we're going to finish our assignment. We're not just going to go off and do our own thing. We're going to do what you called us to do and be the people of God you want us to be. Amen. The last thing is I'm going to challenge every person in this room. If you're not in a community outside of here already, meaning you're not in a small group, you don't meet with people to pray, I'm promising you, 
It is not getting easier to be a Christian. It is getting harder. And if you think there's going to be a time that swings back and things are just going to get easier and easier, you need believers around you. You need to surround yourself with other believers, other couples, and get in that word. There may come a day where we might not be able to do this. I hope that never happens in my lifetime, but I want you and every one of us to be prepared as if it was. I told the staff this morning, in the United States, we are no longer the home team. Christians are no longer the home team here. We're now the visiting team. And we need to pray and believe and start doing something about it. And that starts with every one of us doing our jobs and going, you know what, we're going to reach our city. And then from there, we're going to continue to reach until we get them all for the cause of Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. May the Lord be with you and uh, shine upon you. Amen.